the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful <laughs> spells. She's actually sitting me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Bless it be, y'all. Bless it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Twenty years ago, three young friends realized they were witches. They scattered to different parts of the world, following magic and spirit. Now, they're back in their hometown to share what they've learned. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast, your home for living as a witch in today's world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to That Witch Life Podcast. I'm joined, my name's Hillary, and I'm joined with uh, my co-host, Courtney. Hey! Uh, we don't have Kanani on right now because she's having some technical problems, probably because she didn't give a good enough offering to the fair folk. I know that's what it is. I just, she's, so. she's been away and she's been posting pictures on Instagram of her walk by the coast. And I'm sure she did not leave a fair folk offering. And so this is all her fault as things usually are. It's all her fault. And with us today, we also have Tomas Prower. I'm going to give you a little bit of background there. Tomas is a graduate of the University of California, Santa Barbara with degrees in global socioeconomics and Latin American studies. Born and raised in Southern California, his fluency in English, French, and Spanish gave him the opportunity to work for the French government as a cultural liaison throughout South America with extended assignments in Buenos Aires, Santiago de Chile, and the Amazon jungle. Since then, he has been the external relations director of the American Red Cross LGBTQ plus programs director for entertainment productions in Los Angeles and a licensed mortuary professional in California and Nevada. Currently Tomas resides in his hometown of LA as a writer and author of popular fiction and nonfiction works. If you, if you have been listening to the podcast for a while, you would have met Tomas virtually before. Um, he is the author of morbid magic, death, spirituality and culture from around the world. Um, and we interviewed him in October of last year um, and we're thrilled to have him back. So welcome back, Tomas. Hey, good to be back. Every time I start to think that I might be a mildly interesting person, I hear something about Tomas Prower, and then I realize I'm about as interesting as wet cardboard. Because <laughs> 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 yeah, it's all right, totally now I'm going to go do some self-esteem exercises after that. I am interesting. I've lived some life. Ah. It's totally true. It's like, you're like, okay, so you've just done like hardly any things, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not many things. Well, Thomas came and joined us back in October because October seemed like the month to discuss death. Ha ha, silly for us. What actually was the death season has been spring of 2020. (laughs) I know. Uh, You know, it was interesting when we were talking about doing another bonus episode and Tomas came up as a guest. We just thought how perfect, you know, because I think um, considering everything that's happening right now, it's just, I think, such an important topic. Um, and before we dive into that, how is everybody doing? I mean, I know that like, that's a a question everyone's going, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm fine, but you know, is everyone hanging in there? All right. You know, I've been surprisingly really, and I'm going to bring this back actually to talking about Tomas's work. I've been doing really well. Um, I've had a, a series of losses in a very short period of time, none that are directly COVID related. Um, but you know, I have honestly, I'm leaning back a lot on our conversation with Tomas from October about the role of grieving and giving yourself that space 
to grieve. And one thing I keep thinking about is when Tomas was talking about the problems with people focusing on celebration of life instead of the, the more, I wouldn't say traditional funeral service, because I'm not even sure what traditional means, but I mean, funeral services as a space where you can cry and to really let that grief out and how that's really helped with the grief process. So what I have done since I can't go to any services for the friends that I've lost, because one, the distance them being on the East coast and two, we can't go to anything anyway, is um, I created a really sad playlist on Spotify of every song that's ever made me have a nice choking sob. And I put them all on there so I could just listen to it. And eventually the sobs would find their way out. And it was very funny because I wanted to be my gift to the world. And I posted on my Facebook page and said, here, these are songs that made me cry and crying is cathartic and good for you. So you can share it. And then a couple hours later, my sister texts me and she's like, Hey, are you okay? Do you need to talk? Do you need me to call? And she was seriously busy. Like I said, she was in the middle of a move. And I said, Oh, I'm fine. I, I lost some friends, you know, and she goes, okay. Cause I was just really worried because I saw your Spotify cry list. And I noticed that there was nineties Cheryl Crow on there. And so I figured it must be really serious <laughs> because, because, because she remembered that when things were really bad for me in high school, it was either Tori and most little earthquakes or Cheryl Crow. I think it was Tuesday Night Music Club was the name of that album. And listening to either one of those albums, I'd be crying in my room behind my bedroom door. It's my sister's like, oh, she's going vintage. She's going back to 90s, Cheryl. Okay, I got to pick up the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so funny. (laughs) I love that she picked up on that and was like, I'm deeply concerned now. I thought it was because of the Tori Amos stuff. And she goes, no, no, Tori is just part of who you are. But 90s, Cheryl... Oh, there's something going down. (laughs) Cheryl Crow's the reason I picked up, started playing guitar that and because I wanted to be cool, like the girls in in the theater department that could all play. And um, so I've actually been trying to learn some of her songs because I never had the patience when I was younger to really work on the guitar. You know, I didn't like not being good at something. And now I'm so used to being shit at so many things that I, it doesn't bother me that I suck. <laughs> so I just play. And actually, I don't suck as much as I used to. So that's been my, my how I've been recently. Crying over 90s Cheryl Crow and playing guitar not as badly as I used to play. Hey, that's not bad. What about you, Tomas? Um, I've actually been doing pretty well, which is kind of weird and awkward to say, like whoever's listening to this and going through like a really hard time, but no, I've been doing all right. I mean, you know, I have a, a very calm sense of self, so I'm okay with like being by myself because to be truth be told, quarantine life is my actual life. I try to avoid places with lots of people anyway. I'm a homebody, you know, I, I'm just at home and I write. So nothing's really changed, but I just see everyone kind of like going crazy around me. And it makes me think like, uh Oh, am I insane for being insane? You know, <laughs> and all those questions that you have, but I've been doing okay. I just, you know, watching the world burn from my window and hoping I'll come out alive. Yeah. I feel that I like, I feel like I, I am mostly okay. I have moments of like, anxiety where it pops up and it's usually not related to anything in particular where I'm just like, suddenly I'm like, Oh my God. And it usually has to do with the things around me. Like if I notice that like a ton of other people around me are starting to panic about stuff, then I'm like, I'm like, maybe I should be really, you know, maybe I should really panic. I mean, of course, like the whole thing is worrisome. Uh, but generally speaking, you know, like I, you know, I, 
play it pretty safe most of the time and, you know, don't go out unless they have to. Um, and I'm following all the social distancing guidelines. So like, generally speaking, I don't, I'm not like, Oh my God, everything's terrible. But when everyone around me is, I started to have the same thing where I'm like, but maybe I should, maybe I should be panicking. Should I be panicking? Like, you know, and then I started to question myself, like maybe I should be worried or abnormally worried, you know? So um, other than that's good. It was Mother's Day this weekend. My mom passed a few years ago, so it's always a little bit of a tough weekend. But it was nice. I went um, and did some garden work and put up a bunch of bird-friendly things. My mom loved birds, and I've been meaning to do it for a while, so I like put up some bird feeders and did some yard work. It was nice. It was very hot this weekend here. Yeah, it was really warm. Now, you said that a hummingbird, I saw it on your Facebook page, you said a hummingbird came to visit. Isn't that like your calling card with your mom? It was my calling card with my mom. And it was very mm-hmm. weird too, because it was, so my mom loved, loved, loved hummingbirds. Uh, and this is the third time that this exact scenario has happened when I've been talking about my mom or like around, one time it was on my mom's birthday. Once it was when I was talking about her. And then it was, yes, uh, like the, just the night before Mother's Day. Um and it, the hummingbird sat, first of all, it, it flew to the same spot, which was like the top of this like really wispy tree we have and sat there for like 20 minutes, which is weird for hummingbirds. They don't usually just hang out. Um, and then it like, I was like, oh my God, that must be my mom again. You know, like that's kind of my calling card for her. And then it like buzzed around me a bunch. And I had, this was actually before I had gone to get all the bird stuff, but I'd already talked about doing it. Cause I was like, man, Actually, I was inspired to get more bird stuff, both by my mom, but also because um, uh, we went on a neighborhood walk with the dogs the other day, and we passed this house that like was a certified bird, a certified wildlife habitat or bird. Yeah, I want to be that, but then my husband keeps me yeah, that. I feel like it's a lot of work to get there, but I was like, oh my god, what? And so I was like, well, I can at least like put some more bird feeders up, like you know, I mean, like step by step. We're not going to go crazy, uh, but. But yeah, so like I bought some new plants for outside and then I put like a bird feeder and a hummingbird feeder and a bird bath and a, um, and then there were some hummingbirds in it this morning, which was cute. I love that the hummingbirds that being your mom's symbol came to visit you on Mother's Day. And that's something we, we talked about when we recorded the episode with Paige Vanderbeck, the fat feminist witch. And that episode comes out next week. We talked about how animals that animal symbolism, just because you see the animal doesn't mean that it's a message, but it's when the animal is in a, is acting differently than you would, ex- than you've seen the animal yeah. act before, or if it's in a context that is yeah. unusual. Totally. Right? And it's, it's interesting because like, I mean, you see hummingbirds all the time. Right. And I don't ever think it's like, it's only in this set scenario where I'm like, Oh, right. The rest of the time I'm like, Oh, cute. A hummingbird. You know, like this morning there were some of the feeders. I was like, hummingbirds cute. Yay. They found the feeder. But like, this is a specific scenario where the bird for the, like before, like they it sat on the tip top of this wispy tree in the wind, right? Yeah. Just sat there watching and then got very close and it did the exact same thing, exact same branch, exact same thing, uh, right around my mom's birthday. So it was like, so I'm like, okay, I, I hear you. How are things in LA right now? Um, LA is actually doing pretty well. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of deaths in Los Angeles, but the thing about it is that like Los Angeles is huge. It's, you know, the County itself is one of the biggest in the U S and for our size, we have a relatively small death, you know, compared to the millions upon millions upon millions. 
And it's because people here are really taking social distancing seriously. I mean, we closed down super early. The second everyone started going to the beaches, those were closed immediately. And, you know, I see people walking outside. Everyone's wearing a mask. Everyone's social distancing very well. And really just obeying the rules is keeping Los Angeles doing pretty well. Good. That's good to hear. Yeah, I remember seeing, like, hearing about the beaches opening and it just being, like, or that people that people were out at the beaches. and But it sounds like, you know, uh, California shut it down really fast. And we similar here in Oregon, you know, we, um, we really shut down very early. So our cases are still quite low. There's, I think now 3,500 in the whole state, Mm. um, which is very low. Um, I mean, many of those are in Portland, but still, and again, like the rate, I mean, it's hard to say absolutely because, you know, there's not widespread testing here yet, but, but, you know, we, we've kept it relatively low. And I think that that, you know, I feel like people are, it's, it, people are keeping, you know, generally following social distancing and taking it seriously. Yeah. Although, I was, not really. Now over the weekend, the beaches got flooded, but that's with people. And that's because when the weather's warm, Oregon does not acknowledge social distance. Cause it's like, yeah, Oh, it's, it's wet and cold and crappy. Sure. We'll stay inside. And, and, well, you know. and it's like, I was out, I had gone, I like was out in Beaverton picking something up and which is on the kind of other side of town. And, no one was in a mask. Like people are going in and out of stores without masks. And, you know, if the store didn't require a mask, people weren't in it, you know, weren't wearing one. Uh, I was out, I took the, I took the dog to the, uh, the park early on Sunday morning. And when I, we were leaving, there was a whole pack of people that said they call it dog church where they walk on Sunday mornings and let their dogs off leash. At first I was like, Oh, that sounds like fun. But then I went, wait a minute, you guys are totally not living together. You're not part of the same quarantine pod and you're all running out together with your dogs. This is not social distancing. I know oh, yeah. you're in Hill County, but you know what? It still exists. But I know. I feel lucky. I feel like the neighborhood I'm in, people are, you know, like if you're on a walk and I mean, not every single person is in a mask, but if you're on a walk, they're crossing the street, you know, a block and a half ahead of you. They're like, Oh, you're coming this way. We're going to go to the other side of the street. So I feel like people are, at least in my neighborhood, I feel like they're taking it pretty seriously, which is nice. Makes it easier to go for walks. I just um, feel like I just feel like Oregon and probably well, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in Washington, but I just feel like with Oregon that they just are not going to acknowledge social distance when the weather is nice. They're like, no, fuck it. We have had so much bad weather, and it is cold and rainy, and we need to be outside because we only have like three days of summer. So, but I feel like you can be outside if you're like not being a dick about it. That's the thing. Yeah, but people are being dicks about it, though. I mean, the the police had to clear the beaches because people were not behaving. Oh yeah, there's a you fuckers are them. We can't have nice things in our name. It's totally true. Well, now we can. So now we can make fun of Kanani now that she's arrived, and we figured you're the reason that. I mean, you said you weren't on the beach, but I saw your pictures. Did you see a lot of people out on the beach? Were you actually frolicking out on the beach this weekend? No, you're not allowed on the beach. There's actually signs posted that okay. say that uh, it's like a $2,000 fine okay. if you were caught walk meandering on the beach. That being said, they are allowing people to go in the water. Oh. So the people who surf or body surf or whatever, they're allowed in the water. Maybe it's swept away by a sneaker wave anyway. So they're like, whatever, who cares? Just Yeah, but they're not allowing people to walk on the beach or picnic or any of that kind of stuff. So although we were there, we could look but not touch. Um, And I was actually appalled because we did sneak away. We went and we saw my my parents live there. 
And this is the longest they've gone without seeing the kids. So they were freaking out. We were going to go maybe last month and we just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally we went for Mother's Day and we kind of took extra precautions. We didn't go out for a week, either one of us, before we met up again and uh, had masks and things like that. I was absolutely shocked and appalled. I saw virtually no one wearing a mask in the entire town. Yeah. Not the people walking, not the people going on walks, not the people coming out of a store, not people in cars, no one. Come on now, listen to Morgan. Just shopping. because it's warm, warmth does not kill COVID, no matter what the Cheeto man <laughs> says. Jesus. And Los Angeles down here is laughing like, oh, you poor sweet baby. So it, it is. I mean, we have like what 360 370 days of sunshine a year here in los angeles so it's like oh we can't do something today we can do it tomorrow it'll be the same three months from now so i guess i guess it is pretty harder when you're when you're not here which which isn't good but also like i mean like these people going out with without mass it's you know it's a whole death denial thing i mean no one ever thinks it's going to happen to them no one thinks the car crash is going to happen to them no one thinks you know there's suddenly going to be a lump in them. So just people don't think death can touch them. Oh, see, this is where you're wrong, Tomas, because I always think I, I'm always expecting that. And I think <laughs> <laughs> that's because I threaten your life constantly. Yeah, it's because of that. It's like if it's not Kanani, like hitting hitting me in the head with a blunt object, I'm like, oh, that could that could happen. That's me. Oh, I'm going to be one that's going to lose it on this roller coaster today. So <laughs> yeah, oh no one except Courtney thinks that it will happen to them. But I'm like, yeah, okay. I think of the mask though, not so much about protecting myself. Like they always say, you're not wearing the mask for yourself. You're wearing the mask for other people. And so for me, it's more offensive because it's like, well, clearly I give a crap about you and you don't give a crap about me. So thanks. I know. You know, that's kind of how I look at it when I see Matt. Like uh, one of the things I noticed, so when we came back, because we knew we were leaving, we hadn't really stocked up on groceries and stuff. So I went and got groceries today. Whereas on my side of town in Beaverton, almost everyone was wearing a mask. And it was funny to me because I realized that I was no longer noticing people who were wearing masks, but I was noticing the people who weren't. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it doesn't even, I don't even pick up on, like, it doesn't seem odd to me, people wearing masks. But when I see someone without one, I'm like, they're an asshole. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, you know, I had one of these, like, this is why we can't have nice things moments. Uh, and so in down, maybe like a five, five, 10 minute drive for me, um, there's this family that, uh, the people that are this couple, the people that live there are like retired horticulturists. So they had, they have a pretty incredible incredible, incredible, blah, blah, blah. pretty incredible. Oh my God. Why can't I talk today? Pretty incredible garden. And they had, so agave plants, giant agave plants only bloom. I think only once or like every 18, no, it's not only once, like every 10 years or every 18 years or something. And anyway, their agave plant had a bloom and it was like 20 feet tall. Um, and these huge flowers. And so I had seen it on a I'm on like a nerdy gardener's uh, Facebook group Uh, and I had seen it posted there and I thought, Oh cool. Like, you know, next time I'm going to the store, I'll have to drive by and, you know, see. And I swear to fucking God, there was like 50 people crowded around this thing, touching close 
no masks, no masks. And the people that live there posted, they were like, can people please stop coming here? Someone, some a-hole. My flower. Go away. Well, it's like, it's on the, so it's actually on that strip that's in front of your house. That's like on the sidewalk. Um, but I mean, it's, I mean, it's huge, but some people walked up the stairs to go into their backyard, like strangers. And, and when they were like, uh, can you please get off our property? They were like, well, we wanted to see your, your garden, your back garden. And they were like, no, fuck off, like go away. And so like the police had to come and get people out of there. And it was like, I was like, here is this beautiful thing, right? Like, if anyone was being kind, because we we had thought maybe we'd go check it out, but there were so many people. We just looked at it as we drove by from our car, like a normal person, because we were like, well, one, we had no idea it was going to be like that. I was like, oh, we're going to be driving right past there. And then we pull up and I'm like, oh my God, there's a million people. We left immediately and did not go back. You know, it was like so offensive that I'm like, and all these people were so pissed that the owners were like, can you not crowd our house? And I was like, this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. This right here. Totally, totally crazy. I'm like, and like, here's me thinking of this and like, I'm fantasizing about having a nice enough yard where people want to come and break social distance. Oh my God. That's I, like, it's so many weeks. I'm like, Oh, it's like, you want to come see my lemon balm collection? How about my blackberry brambles? Wow. They're like, no, it's not, they, they don't want to risk death to see my yard, but the risk death is somebody else's. You know, I can imagine a lot has changed in the way of the funeral industry and also just in general around death rites and rituals during a time like this. You know, I'm ima- I imagine that some of the things that people would normally do um, as part of the death process would be very different. I know from friends who are death doulas or people that I know that work in hospice, you know, it's a very different situation right now for those who are sick and dying, whether it's COVID related or not. You know, what have you, you know, what kind of differences have you seen personally? It's true. I mean, people are, it's it's strange to say, but I guess people are more scared to die now. Not because like death is all in their face on the social media, on the news programs, and everyone's, you know, telling you how you're going to die of some invisible thing going around. But if people die, they know they cannot have that like funeral that they always envisioned that those times are gone. Well, they know no. that they're going to die alone, like most likely. Yeah, that's what I think scares me about this. It's like, maybe it sounds, first of all, physically like an excruciating process, but the most horrible thing is that you don't have anybody there to really advocate for you or take care of you. You can't hold your loved one's hand. That, to me, is what's really frightening. Yeah. It is. I mean, even just dying alone, I mean, that's, that's some people's biggest fears in their life, and now they have to like really confront it, but also... You know, people haven't confronted their own mortality yet as well. So you get dying alone, plus you get all this weird existential crisis mixed in where, oh, now I have to deal with my own death. What about my legacy? Have I done anything? What about my kids? Do I have all my paperwork in order? What's going to do this? So it's just compounds and compounds and compounds, and ain't nobody was ready for it. So everything's just mixing together, and it's it's pretty bad. I mean, you see people in there you know, who have to actually deal or plan or go to a funeral industry for anything. And it's that the whole conversation is very different, very different. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, normally, I mean, and I think it changes a lot. And I think it also, um, 
you know, for those, for people that are trying to honor wishes that their loved ones had or, um, or that they themselves envisioned they would do in honoring them. I mean, I think that's gotta be really challenging right now. You know, grief in of itself, is hard, you know, um, it's part of a, a process that we go through when we lose someone. But, you know, I think that I, I can't imagine, you know, not being able to have a funeral or, you know, perform a death rite that you would want, uh, or be there to hold someone's hand. You know, I've been with more than one person as they passed. And, you know, I think that was a really important part of their journey and mine in the grief around that. So I think, you know, I think that that is something that maybe doesn't, that we forget right now. And I think that's part of the fear, you know, because I think, but I think we mislabel it. And I think people mislabel it by saying, Oh, I'm afraid they focus it just on the death part. But I think I agree. Like, I think what is the, the scary part is, yeah. Like, you know, what, you know, if I, if I died, you know, like, of course I'm not super afraid of death, but the idea of not having, being able to have or see any of the people I love before that happened would be really hard. So I like really feel for people that are sick, you know, uh, whether it be with COVID or whether it be with any other illness that they're experiencing and what that may be. And then residually for their loved ones and, and what that looks like. And, you know, I imagine, I know that I'm sure the funeral funeral industry is just taxed right now too, because, you know, we're, we're seeing a higher rate come through of, of death in general. It's, it's interesting. Cause, um, you, I'm, I'm licensed. So I get all like the insider, like newsletters yeah. and all this, all these other statistics. Um, what's at least for right now, like speaking of the time of the recording, cause God knows what's going to happen, you know, tomorrow. Yeah. When it comes <laughs> out. Everything could be different tomorrow when this comes out. Yeah. I mean, who knows? But, um, one of the interesting things is, um, it's not, it's not that more people are dying. The death rate is actually staying pretty much the same. It's just that how people are dying are different because everyone's sheltering in place. Um, traffic accidents, you know, homicides, all that brutal murders are down mm. significantly. You know, people just being outside being stupid. So those are like down by a lot. And ironically, the people who it's it's kind of tough to say, but we're just going to say it. The people who have a condition that would kill them are being most affected by this COVID crisis. So we usually put like pneumonia or, you know, old age or something else on a death certificate. Now you just have to put this new word on there. And yeah, it's not that it's taking more people. It's just that it's taking them faster. Yeah. I read an article that talked about how this was the first March that we had since 2003 without a school shooting. God, that's, that's horrible. And that's horrible. horrible. Oh, so, I mean, I was just sitting here. Yeah, when was the last time we heard about a school shooting? It's, like it's been, what, almost what, seven, 16, 17 years since we had a march without a school shooting? That is so gross. Yeah. So yeah, I see what you're saying, though, because that makes sense that although deaths for this are going up, there are, like you said, a lot of the violent crime, the mass shootings, the school shootings, all those those aren't really happening right now because people are, you know, sheltering in place. Yeah. And another thing like people keep thinking of is that, you know, like, you know, they see the funeral directors or morticians, you know, rubbing their, their hands behind doors saying, yes, there's more death. We're getting more money. But um, it's, it's actually the opposite of that. Um, funeral industries are closing down. 
funeral parlors are closing down. I was wondering but, if that was going to be true because they can't hold, we can't, like, you know, they can't hold a funeral. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing about the funeral industry, which is why I'm not actively in it anymore, but I like to renew my license to keep, you know, in touch. But one of the things is that it, it's essentially, it's a sales business. And so we don't make a profit just by you bringing mom to our funeral home. We make money off of, wouldn't you like the golden casket? How about special gloves for all the pallbearers? Well, don't you want stationery? It's all the add-ons that actually make a funeral industry profitable. Embalming, that's an add-on. So no one's getting that. Everyone's just getting these quick, cheap, direct cremations. And that doesn't even allow us to cover our overhead costs. So people are really struggling. So then when those places close down, other people, other mortuaries have to take on the additional bodies that are coming. And there's different places like in New York, New York State, New York City's having a big problem because the death laws in New York are just stupid and ridiculous and made for a profit. Like you can't, you can't have a crematory has to be on its own like private plot of land which prevents the building of crematories because they're eyesores and the crematories get consolidated business. But now when there's a pandemic, that's biting them in the butt because there's only so many places you can go to and now they're overflowing. Yeah. That's an issue that um, actually some friends of mine have had that lost people to this that needed to get cremated and that there's, it's, it's really, really and disaffecting people who are low income in a very terrible way because already you've got to pay for the cremation, but then you've got to pay for the storage of the body. And if there's a backup, you've got to pay for all those days before the body can be cremated. And from what I understand, actually, there's um, there's a place called Heart Island, H-A-R-T, right yeah. off of New York, which was where a lot of um, people, it was a public cemetery. So if you couldn't afford to be buried in one of the, the, um, fancy cemeteries like Greenwood or some of the other ones, that's where you would go. So it's sometimes it's considered a potter's cemetery. Um, and I think a lot of the remains of people that passed from COVID are going there. It's one thing I always regretted when I lived in New York city is that my coven never got a chance to go up there and print in like, um, and honor the souls of those who were laid to rest there. That's something we always wanted to do. And, um, you know, as it is when you live in New York City, you just got too busy. But um, it's it's now. I think it's it's receiving. They say a cemetery is getting new life. At least it's getting new attention from from uh, from the residents of the city and being nurtured. Oh yeah, and that's. I think that's a really important thing about this. I mean, like getting attention. Like you see all these funeral trucks on TV. You know, oh, they're being housed in these warehouse containers. Everything that's going on that's really sensationalized in the media, it's common mundane practice around the funeral industry. Nothing you are seeing is really new. It's just that the world is looking at the death industry and seeing how it is and always has been for the very first time. And they're like appalled. They're like, what? There's a mass pauper grave? Every big city has one. Every big city has one. What? There's an overflow and people have to go in morgue trucks? They do anyway. You just weren't looking. Yeah. I mean, it's so it's it's just pulling back a layer of reality and seeing some of the darker stuff that's always been there and having to come face to face with it. I actually I actually think that's like a really great analogy for pretty much the entire saga that we are living right now, which is that it's not so much 
that things that were working are now having, are now looking broken. You're now actually having the veil lifted and saying, no, this was always broken. This was always effed up. Like this was all like you see all the inequality and, and things with finances and the, the health inequality and the medical inequality and financial inequality. And all of a sudden people are like, it's, it's odd for me. I like to think that I try and keep up on stuff. So sometimes, I mean, there's definitely things that I'm appalled by that I didn't know about, but then to see some of the things that other people appalled by, I'm like, really, really? You didn't know, (laughs) really? You didn't know some people can have healthcare. Like, Really? Like you thought this didn't realize this was a problem? I mean, it's just, it's unveiling so many atrocities that exist every day that are not new. So mm-hmm. with, the, with the advent of the funeral industry changing, do you th- what do you think the funeral industry is going to look like on the other side of this? I mean, I, I don't want to say when this is over, because I think we've all kind of come to understand that it's not going to be over. It means that we're going to be moving through the world differently for a long time, if not forever. So what do you think is going to happen with the funeral industry when we're on the other side of this? Um, The honest answer, and it's probably not the happy one or the one people would like to hear. But from my experience, I think I think it'll go back to the status quo, except worse than ever, because a lot of the recent gains that have been having, you know, with all over the U.S. and even all over the world is people were taking sovereignty over their own death. They were, no, we want to have a ritual for mom. At home, we want to have this, you know, because funeral industries are only really designed for like Judeo-Christian funerals. You want to do something different. You want to do something special. Bring mom home. You can do it. Empower yourself to take care of the dead. Death doulas, be there. And you want to be composted into, you know, back into the earth naturally without chemicals. Well, we're fighting for your right to do that in certain states. But now that people are scared of the dead body, I think this is going to freak them out. It's like, oh, but if I go near that dead body, I'll get contagious. I'll get this. This will happen. And so people want to be less involved in death. And therefore, here, just take my, take my money and, you know, make mom pretty. Make it look like she's sleeping. And I think people are going to be more reliant on the funeral industry for fear of disease, fear of death, and just not wanting to deal with it anymore. Do you think, I mean, I wonder, do you think that, like, as that happens, I mean, so, I mean, I know how much you, you and many, I mean, you uh, within many states have been fighting for, uh, the right to be able to have to bury so that it can compost into the earth. Do you really think that that, I mean, do you think that we'll get to that level of fear? I mean, I don't think we have that, or I haven't heard that level of fear around dead bodies, but maybe it's because people have been so distant from it because they can't be there right now physically. I think it'll definitely be like uh, an after effect in the wake of this, because right now, I mean, this is unprecedented. No one alive really has been through something like this right now. So it's it's new for every single person on the earth. And we're all dealing with this simultaneously and trying to get by. And I think I think everyone's just trying to get by right now. Yeah, I think. that's And so no real definitive answers can be given. It was actually really weird. Um, it was, I think it was sometime last week. Uh, we were just sitting, I think we were having dinner. We were doing something. It was my husband and I and the kids. And 
you know, they're totally bummed out by, you know, being stuck at home all the time and all this stuff. And my daughter looked at me and my husband and she goes, well, what did you guys do all day when you were kids and had to do this? (laughs) (laughs) And we kind of looked at each other and laughed and, and we just said, honey, we've, we've never, we never did this. We've, we've never experienced this. And she was shocked. She just, you know, in her head, this was just, you know, clearly this is just another obnoxious part of childhood that she was going to have to go through. And it was very odd to try and explain to her that what she is experiencing right now as a child, we did not experience as a child. This is unique to her and her life. And this is unique to us to experience this as an adult, that this is brand new. It was it, the entire concept just blew her mind, but it was so shocking to me to have her ask that question. Well, what did you guys do when you were kids and you had to sit at home? I like, see Soleil writing in her journal, dear, dear diary. Today I find out that mom does not know what the fuck is going on. And I'm really exactly. out because we could really use some actual grownups around here. And it turns out there aren't any on the planet who can manage this. So clearly I have to take care of it myself. Sincerely Soleil. You know, that's what she did. Oh, exactly. <laughs> oh, Exactly. Just absolute, just disgust and like, really? So I get to do this. You didn't have to do this, but I get to do this. Great. All right. Great. You know, you you were my mother for a reason, right? Because you're supposed to know shit. Apparently you don't. Okay. Well. (laughs) That's so wild. But I wonder we. It was so weird to have her ask that question. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you just, you forget, right? That they just assume that anything they're experiencing is something that you've experienced and, um, you know, every once in a while they'll throw one of these questions at you and you're just like, you, you realize it's all they know. So for them, they wouldn't know that this is actually like an incredibly momentous, bizarre thing that someday their children are going to read about in a history book. Well, what would be really interesting, Kanani, and this would be an extra interesting exercise to do with your kids or anyone who has children right now that's of the, the witchcraft or pagan persuasion is that talk to your ancestors who lived through the Spanish flu epidemic, because we all have ancestors that lived through, we, we all have ancestors that lived through pandemics before, but that's the one that's the most recent, at least to this part of the world. By saying this, I mean North America and certainly in, in Europe. I don't know where else the Spanish flu really hit. Um, by the way, Spanish flu originated in Kansas. They just called it the Spanish flu because Spain was the, were the ones that first reported it because the United States was like, la, 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 it's not happening. So um, that would be interesting to do a ritual to contact these ancestors and say, what did you do? Because we could use some guidance right now. I don't know if this she'd be into that, but that could be interesting. That would be very cool. We did. Well, you know, then you go back. I, I did talk to her about the Spanish flu and I explained that it has happened in human history, just not in the time that uh, the people that are alive today experienced. And then we also went through, you know, how it was, more severe in that, you know, entire villages could be wiped out and entire, you know, groups of people. So it had huge numbers, but it didn't necessarily go as far around the world because of the fact that people couldn't travel. And then, you know, you have to get into the fact that there aren't cars and airplanes. And then it's just like her eyes glaze over. Like, I don't understand these things. (laughs) This is too much information. I'm already Like I'm going to have to look on the YouTube to see if you're lying right now, because I don't understand a world without airplanes. Like, what are you talking about? I also need to sit and process the fact that you don't know what to do right now, mom. And that's enough for me. 
So the, now I also have to think about the fact that there's no airplanes is just more than I can possibly handle, you know, but I think it's, exactly. it's also fair to mention and it's, it's, you know, it was a more concentrated, but still it, it, what we did have, we did have an epidemic before when we talk about the AIDS crisis. Now, you know, we could consider whether that was um, the, you know, a global pandemic or not, because eventually it did reach around the globe. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that are having either, you could call it either, um, you know, flashbacks or are, you know, reaching back into their own wisdom for this were, were gay men that lived through the AIDS crisis of the 80s. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, it's it, it affected a specific group more than it event than it affected others. Eventually that changed. But you know, that was you know, that was a serious crisis that only that hit this this one group of people. Um, and again, it's like talking about peeling back the veil. You know, it's, it's always been this way, the prejudice and the ignoring of, of the the health of these individuals. But, um, you know, it's I, I think that that's also when I when I looked at that, I've been looking to older gay men to kind of figure out what do we do now? Because they, they have lived through this, you know, in a, in a more concentrated form. Tomas, yeah. when, when you look at, I mean, I know there are people, I'm sure many of our listeners that have lost people during this time, whether it be from COVID or not, it's kind of irrelevant because their experience of what they are able to do in order to honor their loved ones or whether, you know, it's something that they wanted to do from the, for, for themselves and they are ill do you have any suggestions of things that people might be able to turn to, to find alternate ways to, you know, have a, you know, honor their dead because we can't do it in the normal way. Um, it's tricky because my usual answer for everything is, you know, just go within for it. But I think that's more relevant now than ever because you can't go out. Yeah. But, but more so, it's tricky because when you have – you don't know what to do and there's a lot of other thoughts going through your mind right now. And if you want to build upon something, there's no solid ground to build upon right now. The world is like in this earthquake built upon sand flux right now. So I would just say take it easy on yourself and don't worry about how best to honor this you know, person that has passed on. Don't worry about are you doing it right? Are you grieving enough? Are you giving them the proper honor? Do what you can, however best you believe you can do it, that you feel satisfied that you did your best, because that is the best you can do right now. And I, th- I think the spirits will understand that. Yeah, I also I think that's a really good point. And I also think it brings up another point, which is, you know, when it, it, everything doesn't have to be done this second in this moment. Right. You know, if you if there's something you can do now that is accessible and easy to you to be able to do to honor, you know, the person that was lost to make your grieving process easier. Know that that doesn't mean that you can't do other things later on. I mean, I certainly know that, you know, I've had family members where it was like, well, we need to, you know, we always thought we'd do it this way and we do this, but you know, when you're in the process of grieving, especially if it's a heavy loss, you know, you don't always, you know, your, your mind of your mind is capability to even wrap your head all around, around all of that and be able to, put it together in general, not in a crisis like this is hard. So in a crisis like this, it makes it, you know, tenfold harder. And so, you know, I, I, I've said to friends before, they're like, well, we definitely wanted to do this and we weren't, we just didn't have time. And I was like, you know, it's okay if you do that later, you know, it doesn't have everything. One, nothing has to be perfect. If there's one thing that we talk about 
just in magic in general or in ritual on this podcast is that it's rarely, if ever, going to be exactly the way you want it to be, right? And sometimes you have to accept that that is, that is the case for you, whether it be because of the situation we're in now, whether it be financial, whether it be you just emotionally or physically being able to do something. You know, you, I always tell people, like, do what you can. Like, your, your loved one, your, the spirits aren't going to be like, really? You didn't do this? You know, I feel like there are ways to honor them. And it, it doesn't have to be, it's not like you're failing your loved one because you can't go and spread their ashes in this one location, or you can't do this one thing that you had planned to do in their, you know, during their burial or, or whatever that may be. Well, I think there's a lesson we can all learn from here, especially when, and I've had some people write to me because they have lost people during this crisis and they, they want to know, um, how they can best honor someone that's in, in the tradition that they practice in witchcraft and they're driving themselves crazy because they just, they're so limited right now and how they're able to gather. And the, this, this time of, of being, of not being able to gather is temporary. How we gather in the future may change, but this will change at some point. But what I think would be great to hear from Tomas is what can the living do now to help basically prepare our own affairs or leave our own last rights because a lot of, or at least leave our own last wishes so that we can make things easier on our people when we're on the other side. What are some of the things you would advise someone to do now to prepare for this? Um, the biggest things are really, you know, not coincidentally, the, the simple things really, I mean, just make a list of if you, especially if you have kids, you know, or adult kids, of all your possessions, who gets what? I mean, people are going to fight about your possessions. Yeah. And suddenly the little tchotchke that you just had, you know, on your shelf because you thought it looked cute, suddenly will take on immense importance between possibly two of your children who will fight for it. Yeah. But really it was just a tchotchke. So another thing too is to really just use this time if you can clean up your stuff. I mean, yeah. if... Where is your death papers, even if you have them? Are they in some file somewhere that's not labeled? Are they in your computer that no one has the password to? Yeah. You know, where, make sure people know where this stuff is. And most importantly, I mean, you can't meet people maybe physically, but you can talk to them. I mean, wh what what if you knew this was going to be the last time you talked to somebody? It very well could be, but talk to people differently and just live that your everyday life like that. I mean, if you knew that would be the last time you ever talked to your kids, would you have been so harsh? Would you have reminded them of that thing that they never do? You know, talking to your mom, was that really the time to fight about something? And just now more than ever, get used to being nice and being kind and knowing that Everything in life is temporary, even life itself and what really matters, whether it's a physical tchotchke thing or the emotional things that keep you bound negatively to someone else. I think that's really true. And I think, too, I've, I've been I mean, it, my, like I think I said this on the episode the last time you were on. My dad is um, part of an organization. He's the president of the board of an organization that really advocates for people filling out advanced directives. And I think that's like extra important right now 
you know, to let people know what you want, uh, medically, medically and after you pass, because, you know, I mean, one may, okay. After you pass, it might be limited in what you can do, but I think it's important. I think saying, I think I agree, you know, my, um, my mom volunteered in hospice for a very long time. And she said that, you know, those, uh, those things that weren't clearly laid out, whether it be a choice for the person that was ill or a, a thing, you know, an item, a tchotchke, a, a book, a, a photo of someone, those suddenly become, it, you be, they become such a heightened thing when you're like kind of grasping at the last thing, the last kind of threads of your loved one. And, and people fight like crazy. I mean, she said she was always so shocked that in these moments in hospice that, you know, people would be fighting like cat, just like cats and dogs trying to, you know, argue what, someone wanted or what they might've wanted. And I think that it just always reminds me of how important it is to, to let, to have that documented and let someone know, like either send it to someone or let someone know where they can find it or access it. Because that means that you and what you want and a, it's easier knowing that your wishes are going to be honored, but more importantly, it's just easier for your family. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. One, one thing I would add to that, that's very like COVID specific is, um, because of things right now, even if you have a plan set up, be okay with it being flexible and be okay with someone else's plan being flexible because there are many funeral homes who'd be like, we can't do that. We physically cannot do this. And maybe you can't wait forever. Maybe you can't wait so long. And so just being okay with being flexible. I know one, um, one real big historical incident that I hear from a lot of people is, um, you know, to go real dark is, um, during the Holocaust, because in traditional Orthodox Jewish religions, um, you cannot be cremated. Like you do not go to heaven if you get cremated essentially. And, but what about all those people who were worrying, you know, in the concentration camps, their bodies were getting cremated and it was like one of those things where you can't worry about those other things right now. There's something bigger going on. And then when all dust was settled and all was said and done, um, you know, retroactively people said, okay, it is okay because we understand that was a real significant and unique moment in world history. So what happened then happened then and the law doesn't apply to them right now. So all those people can get a pass into heaven even major religions like that are flexible have adapted. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. And that's, yeah, it's don't be too rigid. That's the tree that gets broken in the wind. It's totally true. And I think that that brings up a really good point because, you know, I think it's a good reminder that like, and I mean, and I think this is true in, in any area of your practice, but certainly in, in practice around death rituals or honoring the dead or honoring spirit is you have, I mean, you have to be flexible in, in a scenario like this, you know, grief is hard enough as it is. If you're just racking yourself, telling yourself that it's awful because you couldn't, you know, do this one thing that your mom or your, you know, grandmother or whoever wanted it one, it's just putting you, putting yourself through it in such an intense way. And, and as you said, you know, we've seen religions and their practices be flexible in scenarios because surely if people believe in something other than themselves, whether it's God or multiple gods and goddesses or spirit or the universe or whatever it is, you know, that 
that in that scenario, you know, it can't be like, well, all these people are screwed. They don't get anything. I mean, like, obviously this is an unusual scenario that we're in. And I try and be flexible with myself just in day-to-day life. So we should give ourselves that flexibility and, and space to, to be flexible, obviously in, in, in death and, and dealing with those who die. The way that I look at it is you have to take a deep breath and take it as it's happening because you have to understand that a lot of times in life when things don't go our way or when we don't get what we want, you know, it's because it's either a choice that we made or it is a consequence of a previous choice that we made. And the things that are happening right now are completely out of our control. Yes. These are not things you're choosing. These are things that are happening at you. So it's not that you're choosing to cremate or not cremate, you know, your, your loved one who wanted that or didn't want that. This is what is passing. This is what has to happen through no fault of your own, through no fault of their own. This is what is happening. And so to try and give yourself that grace of, of this was not your choice. You're not choosing to go against their wishing, their wishes. You're not choosing to do something different. You're doing what has to be done because that's what has to be done. And ultimately that's, you know, that's what's going to happen. And I think people need to give themselves a lot of mercy and a lot of grace to understand that things not working out is not necessarily something that they have done wrong. And it's not necessarily a punishment or a consequence for a, a poor choice that they made. They are, they are having to deal with the cards that they're dealt and that is all that they have. That being said, I do not want Kanani in charge of my funeral because she will throw out all of my last wishes just because she's not going to feel like doing them. <laughs> that is so true. I can I so see it. I can so see it. She's like, no, I hate that song, but that's the one that Courtney wanted to play. Yeah, but I don't like it. So I'm not doing it. You know, and I actually that's not true. I'm excellent at delegating. So I just would have other people do the things. But if you didn't like something at my funeral, you know that if I asked for a specific song to play at my funeral and you didn't like it, you would just strike that out of the last directives and just go, oh, I don't know. I, she, didn't, I didn't, she didn't say what music she wanted. You know that's true. I'll, like, I'll bury you with the DVD it'll, or the CD. It'll be fine. <laughs> it's the same. It's totally the same. I'm totally going to ask for, <laughs> for you spin me around by... Oh, oh my god i heard it i hear it i hear it right now i'm gonna make sure it happens and well, that's not- the name of the band is dead or alive so it's perfect <laughs> oh that's awful the story when we were can i when we were seniors in high school when we were seniors in high school i had my own car she did not have a car i had a car and i had the wedding singer soundtrack and it was the only song on the soundtrack that i hated so as soon as she would get in my car she would grab it and I would roll my eyes and that is the first, and she would be giggling before she even put it in and she would put it in and that is all she would want to play. And it used to drive me back crap crazy. <laughs> and so now we have it on record. That's the song I want at my funeral. So if Kanani doesn't allow oh, it. So awful. <laughs> so awful. It's rockets, rockets. Oh, <laughs> It's just awful. It's Wait for it. This is why you don't have friends. <laughs> Poor Moss. He's like, there's so many other things I could have been doing today. 
I mean, as long as you know you're making your death plans and it's an enjoyable experience, I mean, you're stepping into everyone else, so I'm all for it. I promote this. I promote it. Open up those loving arms. I want. Some. Oh. oh my god! Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I think it's it was awful. wonderful, Hillary. It made me happy. Because when this is the last time I ever speak to Kanani, I yeah. want her to have something to remember me by, and she'll be forced to think of me when it plays that song. At the- I'm like, who do I know that can hack into Kanani's phone and make that your ringtone on her phone? Oh, no. <laughs> and then make sure that you can never change it back so that's it <laughs> Oh, my God. We're really, we're really mature. We're a mature bunch here. I think that speaking of things that are mature, um, Hillary wants Kanani and I to announce it because she said it would be quote unquote. Oh God, I'm sorry, bitch. Did you just call me mature? Like I'm, I'm, like I'm a cheese that's mature, like a wine that's matured. Sure. Hillary, does that feel good? Does that sit right with you? This is the last conversation we have. Will you walk away feeling good about it? Nope. Okay. <laughs> we were going to say that, um, Hillary's birthday is Thursday, this coming Thursday, the 14th. And we are throwing her an online party via Zoom and everybody is invited. So you're going to need to go to our website, thatwitchlife.com to see where we um, do to uh, get the Zoom information. Um, We also have it on our Facebook page. So, um, yeah, you guys, it's going to be from 1 to 1.30 p.m. Pacific time. It's a little lunch hour check-in, and we're going to be reading her tarot, and she's going to open her presents for me and Kanani, and it'll be a chance for anybody to give her lots of 40th birthday wishes or to talk about witchcraft or whatever the fuck you want, man. My Venmo info will be available. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but maybe. You're so old. I'm so glad you're doing it first. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> I'm younger than both of you. I don't turn 40 this year. I turn 40. I know. I was going to say, I'm not that far behind you. So I was like, so excited to go plan some epic 40th birthday shit. when I was like, well, this is unfortunate. I know in a parallel universe, there is no COVID and we're all going to the enchanted forest this weekend to celebrate. I literally, I wanted to have a party at the enchanted forest so bad. And there's this like really lame haunted house, which actually is just like fucking terrifying because it's like, you know, when you go to these, like, first of all, I hate haunted houses because I don't like to be, like, suddenly scared. But the, you know, like, when you go to the, like, crazy ones, you're just, like, you're, like, I've resigned myself to, to the fact that, like, every 30 seconds there's going to be something jumping out at me. This, you're, like, this seems okay. This is not okay anymore! Like, you know, it's like, I'm, like, running out of there. Oh, man, it's so funny. Yeah, I've, I've had kids which means when i get scared or i sneeze i pee a little so no one wants me in a haunted house no, <laughs> no one wants to invite me on that little shindig no. <laughs> like, why is, what's that puddle what's going on oh look oh, kanani where are your pants wet i haven't had children and i still pee myself when i laugh too hard or get scared so i'm just i'm just screwed if i end up ever having a kid then it's just gonna be for my diapers forever because i'm already fucked <laughs> it was the worst the worst was my first pregnancy and I don't even I can't I don't think I sneezed I can't remember if I coughed I don't think I laughed I was sitting started. on the couch I just remember sitting on the couch and I did something and it might have been a sneeze or a cough and I literally I didn't just pee a little I peed my pants <laughs> on the couch fully peed my pants and I looked at, I looked at my husband and I go 
I just pissed myself on the couch. And he looked at me like, I'm kidding. And I, and I'm looking down and he realized he's realizing I'm not kidding. And he's like, that is so embarrassing. And I looked at him and I go, maybe for you. Cause you have to clean the couch. I'm about to hop in the shower. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, that's not fair. I, so, I, 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 was much nicer to me. Hillary made me pee my pants. Um, numerous times but the time that was the most famous we were in high school and we were playing fuzzy bunny which is when you stuff as many marshmallows as you can in your mouth and then you see fuzzy bunny and hillary did it but she started quoting this line from multiplicity that we thought was funny at the time and she's like hi steve and instead of hi and like then i started laughing and marshmallows started bubbling out my nose our friend, our friend went into the bathroom and slammed the door because she laughed so hard she had to pee. And then Hillary is outside the bathroom, crossing her legs and pounding on the door, going, "I had a hee, I had a hee." I still had all these marshmallows in my mouth, so like I couldn't say anything. And then we came back in, and Courtney's like sitting in a kind of ball on the floor, and we both looked at her, and she looked up, looked up at us, and we were like, "Courtney, did you pee your pants?" And she was like. Oh, God. It was so bad. Last time I peed my pants was actually in Ireland two years ago because we kept drinking all this Guinness and then we were doing this um that it was we, we were watching these dancers do this beautiful traditional dance and then at the very end of the night they invite everybody to get up on the floor and I like didn't have time to run to the bathroom and the um this, the the dance was that you like spin around and you jump in a circle like you jump and then you move to the next partner and at one point I just jumped one too many times a little too much Guinness in my bladder and I felt it happen and I'm like fuck and this guy that I'm dancing with like looks down and I'm like, please say he's looking at my tits. They do look really good tonight. Please say he's looking at my tits and not at my crotch. And then I'm like, okay, I gotta go. Cause last thing I want is to be like, yeah, there was a yank that pissed herself in the, in the pub. And the truth is my shirt was long enough to cover it. But I was like, Oh, you pissed yourself during a traditional dance. It was like a jump thing. And you like jump to the next partner. And that's what happened. Because that makes it better, Hillary. The fact that there was a jump involved. That makes it less offensive. This is why we can't take you anywhere. I know. It was so bad. Like she might pee your pants now. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, so Tomas is like, this was a mistake. Why did I come this fucking like don't tell Llewellyn we did this one? I'm gonna keep this one to myself. This one will stay off my I mean, I had to, I had to mute the mic because I was laughing. Tomas <laughs> <laughs> is just glad he's never danced with you. That's what he's thinking. Note to true, self: True, true. Under no circumstance, dance with Courtney. Tomas was like, "Things to never do in life: don't be around Courtney while she's jumping up and down on Guinness." It's, there was a yeah, lot of. I don't think it was the dancing; it was the jumping. So avoid <laughs> avoid her while jumping. <laughs> Now I've got my Surgeon General warning label. Avoid while jumping and get it. <laughs> oh my god! Oh man! Well, this, this <laughs> well, this has been a, this has been a real journey of an episode. Like, <laughs> glad we ended on a high note. Some, some, some kind of pun that comes with high and p. My and god, um, that well, went south fast. <laughs> Tomas, it's been, it's been lovely everyone. Uh, one day we'll be able to be professionals. Uh, and yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It's been, you know, I think that this was like, it was really timely to have you on. And I think that, you know, 
I, I think it's something that a lot of people are thinking about, but kind of don't know how to talk about, or it's like, because everything's moving and happening so quickly. So thank you so much for sharing kind of that insight with us and, and giving us a, you know, a glimpse into your world and kind of what's, what's going on. So thank you. Oh, no, I mean, it's, it was, it was a pleasure to be on. Yeah. Just, just be flexible with yourself and know nothing lasts forever. Very true. Not even November rain. Not even November rain. Um, and for those of you that haven't checked out Tomas's book, you should. It's Morbid Magic, Death, Spirituality, and Culture from Around the World. And it's it is a must read for the pandemic. It's kind of required reading for these times. Sorry, y'all, but it is. I actually, uh, I gave it to my dad for Christmas. <laughs> he was like, really? Your dad, your dad, these are things to think about. Uh-huh. Yeah. I gave my mom a brochure for an old folks home at Christmas. It's kind of the same thing. So, uh, for, for those of you listening, don't forget to check out our Etsy store. Tell all your friends. Uh, we are also on Facebook. If you're not following us there, you should. We're also on Instagram. We're, we're posting some fun, fun things on there, so follow us there. Um, and if you get a chance to rate us on any of the platforms that you're listening to us on, we always appreciate uh, reviews. Um, and, yeah, come to my fucking birthday party. Ready to be shameful? I am. Do you are you are you bubbling with remorse right now? Um, sure. Indifference is fine. Good, because that's what you get with me, as you well know. Yes. So, as many of our listeners uh, may know, if you have subscribed to our website last week, you may have inadvertently received forty-five different emails from us. And while I'm sure you found it alarming, and Courtney likes to say it was my fault, it was not my fault, to prove that it was not my fault, I have dragged out the web guy, who is going to adequately explain why he is obsessed with emails, and also apologize to our listeners and admit that it was not my fault. Phil, would you like to go ahead? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, hi all. Um, my name is Phil, and I am a tech guy, helping these extraordinary ladies with their website. If you subscribe to their blog, you may have gotten forty plus emails last week. Please allow me to apologize sincerely and say that it in no way was uh, Kanani's fault. Thanks everyone for your patience and support. Phil, be sure to make it very clear that it was not my fault, and don't be afraid to tell them it was Courtney just making shit up. Thanks so much, Kanani. (laughs) Damn it, you weren't supposed to read the last part. Courtney, we're going to have to tape this again.